Hey, Calvary family, I am so glad that you have joined us today. And I wanna let you know that we, the pastors, the staff here at Calvary, we miss you and we cannot wait to reopen in September. This past Friday and Saturday, many of you were involved and engaged in our 24 hours of prayer. Uh, you may have been involved virtually or you may have been involved at our Sweetwater campus. I just wanna tell you, thank you for praying for 24 hours for our community, for our teachers, for our small business owners, for students, for our elected officials and for area pastors. There's a lot of panic and there's a lot of concern and we believe that the peace of Jesus will bring calm. So thank you for praying. Now, last week, Pastor Chad kicked off our sermon series from the book of Acts. The book of Acts is one of my favorite books. It, it's in the New Testament and it comes after the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts was written by Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke. And Luke was also a travel companion of Paul. The whole purpose of Acts is to communicate what happened after Jesus left the responsibility of sharing the good news of forgiveness, uh, the good news of hope in the hands of his disciples. The book of Acts help, helps us answer the question, what did the disciples do after Jesus left the earth? Well, Acts lets us know what came next. Did the disciples abandon their faith in him? Did they pack up their bags and go home? Or did they continue to communicate hope and forgiveness? The book of Acts helps us answer the question, who replaced Judas of Iscariot, or Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus? Were the disciples persecuted for being believers? When did the Jewish terrorist named Saul become a follower of Jesus? And what did God do with Saul's life after that? In Acts, we see the sweeping presence of the Holy Spirit moving and changing people's lives. The gospel is preached for the very first time in the world and the first church grew to over 20,000 believers. In the book of Acts, we see the disciples, they're, they're beaten, they're imprisoned, they're persecuted. The, the church in Jerusalem comes under attack. Riots and protests break out in cities, protesting against this new teaching of forgiveness. We see stonings and more stonings and more persecution. And in the midst of all the chaos, confusion and persecution, genuine faith in Jesus begins and continues to grow. If you have never read this fascinating, fast-paced book of the Bible, I want to encourage you to slowly and reflectively read through this powerful account of the story of, of Christianity in its infancy. Read about the faith of courageous people, the mistakes of some, and the powerful guidance of the Holy Spirit. I can guarantee you, the letter of Acts will change your life. There was an ancient believer named Tertullian and he said this about persecution. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Every time difficulties, persecution, challenges happen to believers in Jesus because of their faith, the church grew and it grew and it grew. The more people were persecuted, the more the message of forgiveness for sins reached more people. 
Does that sound familiar to you? You know, right now in some states in the United States of America, some governors are prohibiting churches from gathering for worship. Now, our governor in Arizona and city officials have not told us to stop gathering for in-person or on-campus worship, but we love our community and we want to make right decisions for the health and safety of the people. But I will say this, if the governor had ordered us not to meet, if the governor had ordered us not to gather and not to sing, Calvary would be the first church to defy the requests and we would gather for worship. I, I will gladly go to jail and defy those orders. So you might say, Pastor Joe, what's the difference? Well, when we work in cooperation with the city and state leaders and we put the health and safety of others first, we continue in our mission to bring life change and love to others. If churches were ordered not to meet, but grocery stores and public transportation, other places could still be open, well, the church would consider that a form of persecution. And in some states, church leaders today are having to make a difficult decision either to, to choose to submit to the state and city officials or to defy them. And I'm so proud of those churches and those pastors and leaders that are defying elected officials' orders to stop worshiping. I pray for those pastors to continue to remain strong and obey God rather than man. And at Calvary, we have chosen to move all of our services online and we continue to reach more and more people throughout the United States and the world. So if you're watching today from outside the state of Arizona, thank you. We're so glad that you're here. We welcome you to leave a comment. Let us know what city and state you're watching us from. And if you've never set foot on our physical campus, but you've been watching us online, please, would you let us know that too? Now, you know, while we were beginning to create plans to launch a, launch a North Campus in Havasu to reach those on the north side of the city, God was revving up his engine to launch an online campus to reach the world. And coincidentally, right before Jesus left the earth and went into heaven, the disciples were making their own plans for what they wanted Jesus to do. And Jesus gave them a completely different plan for their lives. Today, we're going to read about that account from Acts chapter one, beginning in verse six. So let's read this passage together. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. 
Now, did you see that at the beginning? The disciples thought Jesus was going to set up a kingdom on the earth and rule over the world. That was their plans. And Jesus said, nope, I'm leaving. And by the way, the way you lead in my kingdom is to tell everybody about me. But don't worry, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to you. Now, if you are already a follower of Jesus, meaning that you have trusted in Jesus as your savior, you've received Jesus into your life, you've been given this gift of the Holy Spirit. You've become a born again follower of Jesus. Please know that just like the disciples' plans changed, the direction and the mission of your life has changed too. And that's because Jesus gives purpose and power to his witnesses. As a follower of Jesus, you should never have to wonder about what your purpose is in life. Jesus was very clear with his disciples that their new purpose was to carry the message of hope into the world wherever they went. No longer were they merely fishermen, tax collectors, farmers. No, now they lived with a higher purpose. And you, you should never be confused about what your purpose in life is. See, my purpose in life is to be a witness of Jesus. Now, what does a witness do? Think about a courtroom. When a witness is sworn in and called in, they are supposed to communicate what they have seen or, or what they've experienced. Let me ask you this. Has Jesus changed your life? Has he rescued you from hopelessness, from emptiness, from an addiction? Then be his witness and let the world know how he has changed you. Let the world know about the impact Jesus has made in your life. Let them know about the peace that Jesus has brought to you. Now, don't worry. Like me, you may stumble over your words. You may not be able to eloquently explain how Jesus was born of a virgin, how he defeated death after he was crucified, how he was brought back to life and rose from the dead after being in the tomb for three days. You may not be able to, to explain and articulate how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one. You may not be able to explain where Jesus went after he ascended, but you are able to explain, you are able to, quote, testify and explain how Jesus has impacted you. And people will never be able to refute the change Jesus has brought to your life. If you've experienced the peace of Jesus, people can't say that you have not. Your story of life change in Jesus is the most compelling aspect to your life. And it's the most compelling to those who need hope. You're not supposed to be a theologian. You're not supposed to be steeped in apologetics and have an answer for everything. If you're a believer in Jesus, then you have a calling on your life to live out this mission of Jesus as a witness. 
Now, if you're with somebody right now, if somebody's watching you, if you're watching with a life group or in a house church, I want to invite you to turn to somebody in the room right now and say, my life has a purpose. Do that right now. My life has a purpose. Great. Now say, I'm a witness. Say that right now. Turn to somebody and say, I am a witness. Yes, you are. And as you live out your life as a witness, remember this. A witness shows they do not trample. See, a witness of Jesus' love for people shows Jesus' love to people. They don't trample on others. They don't point out the faults of other people. They don't make it their mission to judge everybody else for their actions. A witness of Jesus' love does not try to shame other people for what they wear, for decisions that they make, for mistakes they've made, or how they live their life. A witness at their best demonstrates God's love for all people. They become the hands and feet of Jesus. In fact, the Apostle John writes in 1 John 2, 6 that those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Jesus came to this earth to show people that there was a God who created them, who loved them, and would show the fullness of his love for people by dying for their sins. Jesus spent time with the drunks. He talked with them. He taught them. He cared for them. He spent time with the prostitutes and he taught them that their value did not come through how men treated them. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Their value came from the fact that they were God's children and that God cared for them. And Jesus didn't just say it. He just didn't bring a speech to them. He showed it by his love. And if we are followers of Jesus, we are to show that we love others too. When we show that we love others, we become star witnesses because we're taught in 1 Corinthians 12 that love is the most excellent way to live. Now, I'm gonna paraphrase what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, but uh, now in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, going into verse uh, chapter 13, verse one, he says, now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Now paraphrasing, if I could serve other people, if I could lead other people, if I was in charge of an area of ministry, if I could preach eloquently and well, if I could administrate well, if I could go on mission trips, but didn't love others, I would be obnoxious and irritating. Now, can you imagine if you were serving, let's say in a soup kitchen, maybe you're cooking, you're preparing the food and you're serving the food to those who are hungry. And as those individuals were coming through the line, while they came down through that line, as you served them their food that you had cooked and prepared, can you imagine insulting them, calling them names as you serve them, making fun of them as you serve them? That would be crazy. Yet, 
people who focus on the mission without operating in the power of Jesus' love do just that. They fall into a trap of judging friends and family. They become known as those Bible thumpers. They become skilled in knowledge. They become excellent apologists, but they are irritating because they're not really loving other people. They may often even say things like, well, the reason why I'm saying this kind of stuff is because the truth hurts. And if I didn't love you, I wouldn't say it. Let me tell you something. That does not have to be you. I found that when that little Pharisee begins creeping up inside me and he begins to raise his little head and begin to judge other people for their attitudes or their actions, I find that the more I pray, the more I become like Jesus in my actions. So remember this about a witness, a witness will love and a witness will also pray for family, neighbors and coworkers to experience and know Jesus. The greatest thing that a follower of Jesus can do in prayer is mention another person's name as you talk to God. Rather than simply talking to the Lord about your own needs, you include the names of other people in your life that need to experience the life-changing power of the love of God. You mention another person's name to the King of all creation and you mention to him, you would like to see them trust in Jesus to be born again. What an incredible honor to somebody else when you mention their name to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. I, as a pastor, I often have people tell me that they pray for me. Can I tell you honestly, that's so humbling to learn that when another follower of Jesus is mentioning my name and my needs and my family to God during their personal quiet time, it's humbling. And when you pray for your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, you will see God begin to move in their lives. You're going to see God uh, begin to interact with them. You're gonna see God begin to introduce them to Christianity. And God is going to use you as well as a witness of Jesus' love to impact them. And as you live out your life as a witness for Jesus, as you do it in love and as you're prayerful for others, you will see God show up and show off. Now, let me point the end of this passage of scripture out to you. As the disciples stood there staring up into the sky and watched until Jesus disappeared from their sight, two white robed men, angels showed up and said something extremely significant. So don't miss this. They said, hey guys, why are you standing here staring? Just as you saw him leave, he is going to return. Now, by faith, 
I believe that one day Jesus is going to come back. Some people like to predict dates and times, exactly when Jesus is going to come back. And, you know, they've never come true. And the reason for that is Jesus said that not even he knew when he was going to return to the earth. He said, that's up to the Father. So I immediately doubt anytime somebody says that they know when Jesus is going to come back. In fact, you can bank on that date that somebody predicts as a date that Jesus is not going to gum pack because Jesus said he's, his return is going to be like a thief in the night and he's going to come unexpectedly. So the, the date and the time is really not important. But this truth and question for you is, the truth is Jesus will return one day. And the question is, are you ready now? See, I'm ready for Jesus to return because I know him as my savior. By faith, I've been made a new creation through the grace and forgiveness of Jesus' death on the cross. By faith, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he rose from the dead, that he went up into heaven and he will one day return. But I'm not ready based on what I believe. I'm ready because I have received that free gift of forgiveness. In 1991, I knelt beside my youth pastor in his office and I asked Jesus to forgive me. I invited Jesus into my life. I received him. I had already known, I had already believed what Jesus had done for me, but I never had received him as my savior. Paul writes in Rome, I'm sorry, not Paul, but John writes in one, uh, John 1, 12, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you accepted Jesus? If you've already accepted Jesus, then live out the love of Jesus as an effective witness. But if you've not accepted Jesus, I want you to make eye contact with me right now. I want to invite you to pray with me right now. I want to invite you to surrender your life to Jesus and invite Jesus to be your savior and Lord. Wherever you are, in your car, at the beach, in an RV, in your house, you can get ready for the return of Jesus right now. You can surrender your life to Jesus right now. So I want to invite you to pray with me right now. Talk to God, close your eyes and say something like this. Dear God, I am ready to receive Jesus as my savior. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that one day he's going to return. And I commit my life by receiving Jesus as my savior. 
Thank you, God, for this life change I am now experiencing. In Jesus' name. If you just gave your life to Jesus, I want you to know we want to hear from you. We have a free Bible that we want to give you. Reach out to our online host today. Click on the prayer link. Let us know in the comments. Send a direct message to us on our Facebook page. Or you can go to calvarylhc.com forward slash contact and send us a message. But we want to celebrate with you and we want to help you become that loving witness that God has called you to be. Now, let's worship again. Worship our great God and King.